Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come this morning and to hear your word. I pray that as we search your scriptures together, that your voice would speak to us. Soften our hearts that we may hear, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to consider a scenario with me. A scenario in which you um, are safely and warmly asleep in your bed, maybe at home, maybe in a hotel, and you awaken to the startling realization that something is wrong and you realize that there's smoke in the room, you're choking and your eyes are burning and you realize that that the home that you're in, the, the place that you're in, that there's a fire in the building. Terrifying situation as it is, Sometimes life gives us the opportunity when we're faced with a fire, a fiery trial, an experience in which we awaken. Sometimes we've done things that have caused the fire in our house and sometimes we haven't. But oftentimes in life, we come to places where we're faced with a decision Really, we have no choice but to respond to a fire, to a grave difficulty. I suggest to you, let's consider for a moment, in First Peter, uh, a letter written to a church that's struggling, a church that's suffering. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says this, Peter writes to people who are suffering, who are having a difficult time in life. And he says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering, at the fiery trials that you are suffering, as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice that you may participate in the sufferings of Christ. What we see is this. Life oftentimes gives us trials. We face circumstances, sometimes of our own making and sometimes not. Whether that's mental illness, whether that's sickness in our family, whether that's our job. Maybe we just got laid off. Maybe we're afraid of losing our job. In an economy like we're in, where you can't go to the gym. I go to the gym often, and when I'm at the gym, I see the TVs. I don't listen to them because it's rather depressing. But I see them there. And on every screen I see crisis, catastrophe, these words of fear. And the reality is that the society in which we live in right now, our political time, is that of turmoil. And many of us are facing difficult trials in our lives. Some with family, some with relationships, some in our marriages, some at our job. And so the reality is that every one of us face difficulty, face fiery trials. So today we're going to be asking and answering the question, how is it that we face these adversities? How do we face the fires that occur in our life? We'll be looking in 1 Samuel today. If you would, open your Bible there. 1 Samuel chapter 30. To give you a little bit of background, David, King David, has been anointed king, although Saul, the former king, is still ruling. And so David is in this transition period. He's in this position where God has made him a promise where he's supposed to be king, but he's not. 
and Saul is. And indeed, Saul is trying to kill him. So David is, is having this experience of knowing what it is that he's supposed to have, but not actually seeing it materialize. And so David is fighting in different wars, and he's trying to buddy up with some military folks from uh, other, uh, from other uh, tribes and, and people groups. And what happens is, ironically, the Philistines find out that David and his men are trying to uh, get involved with the battle that they're doing. The Philistines say, you know what, we don't want the Hebrews here. So they send him back. So David and his men are sent back to their place where they, they are making camp in Ziklag. And I want you to imagine, put yourself in David's shoes for a moment, as David and his men are coming back home to see their wives and their children, to go back and enjoy some rest because they've been fighting battles. As they come over the hill, in the distance, they can see smoke rising. Something is wrong. And as they get closer and closer, they can see the fire and there's something desperately wrong. So they begin begin to run and hurry to this location. They get back to where their camp is and they see their possessions burning. What, what they had of worth has been taken. And where are their wives and children? They're looking, they're searching. They're not dead, but they're not here. And they realize that another army has come. So we pick up in chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Can I suggest to you that in the same way that David is confronted with the loss of his possessions, with the severance of his family relationships, that sometime life throws at you a curveball. That David and his men are experiencing grave loss. They've got a problem. And the reality is that Life has a host of problems and no one, no matter what socioeconomic class you come from, is exempt. Sometimes these occur in our marriages. Sometimes these occur with our children. Sometimes with our jobs. Sometimes from sickness. Sometimes from our own sin. Sometimes from our own mistakes. But the reality is that sometimes we come back home to realize everything that we have placed our value in is shaken, is not secure. I don't know if you may not feel secure about everything in your life today, but certainly as David and his men come back, they're faced with a trial, a fiery trial. And so, they have to respond. So I want you to notice their response. Verse 4, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David and his two wives had been taken, uh, David's two wives had been taken captive. Skip down to verse 6. And David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. 
So I want you to notice what's going on. The reality is life sends fires our way. Fiery trials occur. And we're forced to respond. But how David and his men respond are indicative of what we often do. That is, when we're faced with a difficulty in life, the first thing we do is to cry about it. We weep, we grieve over our loss. But notice these men grieve and weep until they can't weep anymore. And then they pick up stones to stone David. There, are, there is one way that people face adversity. There is one response to focus on the problem. These are the folks who when things get difficult and when times get hard, they throw a pity party. They focus on everything that's wrong. You ever know these people? These are the ones who, when you have struggles at work, they focus on everything that's wrong with the job. When there's problems in the home, there's everything that's wrong with the spouse. Or when the children are acting up, it's everything that's wrong with somebody else. There's always somebody else. There's always some other problem. And see, what David and his men do, they return and they weep until they can't weep anymore. They focus on the problem. And then... They do what we often do, the wrong thing. In focusing on the problem, they pick up stones to blame someone else. Why is it when finances get tight, it's always her spending? Why is it when the kid's acting up, it's because she's not doing enough at home with them, or because of the teachers at school, or because of their friends? Why is it when we face difficulty, when we're in crisis, is it easier for us to point the finger at someone else and pick up the stone? We all do it. But is it the right response? When fiery trials come your way, and the reality is that they will, how do we respond? Do we choose to focus on the problem? Or is there another way? I want you to notice that there is another way. This is not the only solution. But I want to ask you a question first. Who will you turn to in the moment when your fiery trial strikes home? Who is it that you will turn to when things are difficult, when adversity comes, when your parents grow ill, when cancer strikes you understand, there are many people here. We come here and we look very nice. And we dress up and the exterior looks nice, but the reality is that we're hurting people. And we come in and sometimes go out without ever letting anybody know that we're struggling with a spouse who has depression. We're struggling with children who are fumbling through school and we don't know how to help them. We're terrified that we may lose our job at any time. We're overwhelmed by the debt that we've accrued and our seeming inability to get out of it. And we come and we go without ever letting anyone know what's really wrong. And that enables us to continue focusing on the problem. Who will you turn to when the fiery trials of life strike your home. 
Notice in verse 6, David was greatly distressed. We're not told about his men. We're told about how David feels. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David, there's always another option. Can I suggest to you today that no matter what you walk in with, no matter how heavy the burden, no matter how grave the anxiety, that there is an alternative that the way you're handling it today does not have to be the way that you're approaching it tomorrow. There is a solution. There is another way. No matter how you've conceived of yourself possibly being in this box where you feel without option, even when the people closest to you, even if it's your spouse, is picking up the stone, there's another way you can handle it. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David, we'll skip down to verse 8, David inquired of the Lord. David said, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? The Lord said, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. I want you to notice what's happening. Everyone around David is focusing on the problem. David is focusing on the solution. The world is full of people able to focus on the problem. Few and far between are those who can find and seek the solution. When you are going through a trial, when you are having the fire strike your home, if you wake up and there's smoke in the room, you have the opportunity to roll back over and give up. Or to crawl out of bed on your hands and knees and try to gather together those whom you love most to try and walk through that fire. David finds his strength in the Lord. David inquires of the Lord. He seeks God's direction on what to do, and he waits on a response. David is focusing on the solution. Because no matter how bad a trial you're going through, God has the strength that you need to endure it. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you may participate in the sufferings of Christ. How can someone find strength in the midst of difficulty if it's not for God? See, we all experience them. For us, it was our first year of marriage was a fiery trial. For us, when our daughter was born, when she was eight weeks old, she got pneumonia. And we were in the hospital. And it was a fiery trial. Because you don't know what's going to happen. And you know what? You're not in control. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe it's our job. I know right now that the economy's hard. And there are a lot of people suffering. How is it that you find the strength to face adversity? David sought strength in God. David 
sought an answer in the Lord and indeed waited to receive it. But that's not all. I want you to notice what else happens. Not only did David find strength in God, he regrouped. He meditated on the Word. He didn't just have some quiet, independent, spiritual experience. He actually did something. He heard from God and he took action. He went after the enemy. Can I say something? Let's continue on. Because there's something else that transpires in the midst of this. So David gets his word from God in verse 9. And David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine where some stayed behind. Can I tell you that sometimes when difficulties arise, there's always people who are going to leave. There's always those who when times get tight, they got to go. We all have those, those associations. But no matter how alone you may feel, God will always place people in your life that will stick it out with you. That will walk through the difficulty with you. Those are the people you can count on when the chips are down. Now, as we continue, they're going after it. They're going after these men. They've got to recover their wives and children. Now, this is 600 men. The Amalekites have a tremendous army. And frankly, we don't know how many days have passed, several How far ahead are they? But David gets his word from God to pursue. And as they're going along, in verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat. Part of a cake of pressed pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days or three nights. Now stop right there. This may seem like an innocuous event. But I want to suggest to you, first of all, that if uh, in Genesis we know that the, the Hebrews spent 400 years in bondage in Egypt. So can I just, just submit for your approval that maybe the Hebrews don't like Egyptians. Right? Maybe there's a little animosity there. And so as they're going after their goods, see, it's time for us to go and get ours. So they're heading out to battle and to fight, find the Amalekites, to find their wives and children, to take back what is theirs. And on the way, they see this Egyptian, someone of a different race, someone of a different nationality, someone who prays to different gods, someone who's not of the same religion, someone who's probably not of the same social class, someone who's different. In fact, someone they probably don't like. And they see this man who's hungry and thirsty and dying. He's sick. And David and his men begin to feed and nurture this man back to health. Why? Why would they do this? Why in the midst of their difficulty, in the midst of their fiery trial, would they stop and take care of someone along the way? What David and his men do is serve faithfully other people in the midst of their difficulty. Continue with me. David asked him once they've nursed him back to health, to whom do you belong and where do you come from? See, they didn't ask anything at the outset. They 
actually minister to this guy's needs despite the fact he's different. He doesn't believe like they do. He doesn't wear their kind of clothes. He's maybe a little below them, at least in their minds. And then once they nurse him back to health, they say, where are you from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Ketherites and the territories belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, meaning I was with the folks that burned your village and stole your goods and took your wives and children hostage. And we burned Ziklag. And David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? I just wonder why it is. Did it cross their mind to point the finger at the Egyptian? You see, because that's what we often do. When things are difficult with us, what is easy for us to do is to find the first person in line and blame it on them. Because I want to feel better. I want to punish them. They hurt me. We see it in the news. This is what we're doing to the AIG executives. See, we're not, we're not mad about the billions of dollars that were funneled through AIG to these other organizations some of which some of banks overseas. We're not talking about that. What we're focused on are these evil executives because we want somebody to get. Because you know what? I've been hurt and I'm having a hard time and I'm going to get somebody. But that's not what David does. David says, can you lead me down to this raiding party? And he answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. There's something we learn from the Egyptian, what I call the lesson of the Egyptian. In faithfully serving others, God often puts, puts resources in our lives that enable us to recover from our loss. Can I tell you that the people whom God has spoken to me most in my life, in my own struggle, right, through my failure in eight treatment centers and then finally getting it in nine from drug addiction... In my difficulties in life, it's always been the people that I don't like that get under my skin that God tends to use to speak to me. I don't know if that's your case or not, but it's the folks that, I, that just get under my skin that I don't want to be around that God often speaks to me through. That was the case for David and his men. The lesson of the Egyptian is that in faithfully serving others, that is, in doing something maybe below you, in maybe a mundane task, in doing the next right thing, God can open the door for you to walk through your fiery trial. So maybe, just maybe, if you're having difficulty in home, in marriage, in life, maybe doing some type of mundane task like taking care of babies in the nursery, changing diapers, serving other human beings in the midst of this difficult time, might that be a window through which God could open the door to provide you the resources to recover from your loss? Putting one foot in front of the other and walking through the fire, the lesson of the Egyptian 
And now we continue in verse 16. He led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything that the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought back everything. I want you to consider this. It would be very easy for me to jump into this really exciting point about getting everything back. But might I point out that David overcoming his trial and walking through the fire required him to go and to do genuine battle, to fight day and night to recover. You realize his little band of wanderers are fighting a tremendous Amalekite army. And so no matter how overwhelming the odds are, and they were for David, that this little band of wandering Hebrews who are trying to do battle and with one guy who says he's been anointed king are going to descend on this army, this giant army who has taken their wives and children captive and is going to overtake them. Can I just tell you that life presents us with overwhelming circumstances that force us to actually trust God to succeed. And there's a cost to the recovery. There is a battle that has to be fought. I use the analogy of fire on purpose, of walking through the fiery trials of life. Because sometimes, even in saving yourself, you walk away with the marks of having come out of the fire. You may make it to the other side. Indeed, you will. But that doesn't mean it won't come at a cost. That doesn't mean it will be easy. And that doesn't mean it will be painless. I wish that I could give you some cookie-cutter, Christian, a little dabble-do-you verses that would make you suddenly succeed over every circumstance. But the reality is, for early Christians and for us today, we are called to walk through the fiery trials of life, to face loss, to face pain, but to trust in God, to find our strength in Him, and to pursue the recovery of those things dearest to us, to pursue a life on the other side of the fire. David recovered all, but not without a cost. Recovery came at a cost. Your obstacles may be overwhelming. In fact, you may not feel like you can battle them. But might I suggest to you that we're still called to fight. That in the moment in which we awake, and realize there's, there's a fire in the house. There's a problem. We can either give up 
or put one foot in front of the other and head for the door. This is what we're faced with. Life gives us these difficult trials. I don't know yours, but I know what it's like to face a family member with brain cancer, lung cancer, then brain cancer. I know what it's like in my own life to face drug addiction. I know what it was like for my mother to face having a kid strung out on dope. We all have our mess. We all walk through the muck and the mire. But we're called to walk through the fire together. To come out on the other side even if we bear the marks of having been through it. So I want to give you four concrete principles by which you can leave here and ground yourself in order to walk through the fiery trial that you either are going through now or may go through in the future. Because the fact is, life is messy and we all face difficulty. Walking through the fire, what we do is we find our strength in God. And what I mean by that, let me clarify, is finding our strength in the biblical text in the encouragement and the hope that we're given through the Word of God, firstly, and secondly, through our community. See, this requires actually being open to others. There's a danger there. This is the uncomfortable part of living our faith in community. When faith ceases to become something theoretical and becomes something practical, something lived, Something we must do. There's a danger there of letting other people get to know us. There's a danger in me telling you about my past. You might think things about me. You may not want your kids around me. There's a danger in letting other people know us, in being a part of community. But that's what Christians are called to do. We're called to enter into community, this dangerous environment of faith in which we trust in God to step out in places where we're unsure of our footing because we don't have a choice and to trust God in terms of letting other people get to know us and getting to know others. Secondly, we pursue God for His direction. We do this communally. We do this individually. We seek what God says in order to follow God's path. We get this again through Scripture, community, and prayer. It's not one or the other or either or. Rather, it's all of these together. The biblical text gives us strength, gives us hope, gives us direction. The biblical text doesn't come interpreted for us. We do this in community. We engage with the text. And in engaging with the text, the Spirit engages with us and through our community. Sometimes the best way to walk through the fire is to just have someone holding your hand. Community is invaluable, although it comes at a dangerous cost. Thirdly, 
we learn and try and fail forward in obeying God by being faithful during the fire. When difficulty strikes home, sometimes when we don't know what to do, the best thing to do is to just serve. And I say that again. Sometimes when we're overwhelmed by fear, anxiety, and the problems which we face, which are grave and painful. Don't hear me discounting that. What, what people are going through right now is terrible. It's hard. But the reality is that however difficult it is today, number one, it can be worse. I used to throw myself on this notion that somehow, see, in my addiction, somehow it can't get any worse. It's just as bad as it could be. So what does it matter if I just keep doing what I'm doing? But every time I thought it couldn't get worse, I continued to take negative actions and it kept getting worse. But there's always the chance to get off the elevator on the way down. It doesn't have to go any lower. You can push the button and begin the process of walking back up the stairs. So, in the midst of the difficulty, we serve. One of the most valuable things my wife and I, I think, have done here, despite you know doing some of the churchy things that, that I do being part on staff, um, is serving in the nursery. I, I, um, I don't like watching kids. I, I mean, if I had to pick, I'm a nerd, I'd probably be reading, right? writing or pretty much anything but watching kids. It's not a thing that I do for, you know, like I want ten screaming kids. And, you know, I want to change diapers. That's what I want to do, right? But the reality is that in serving, in doing something that's seemingly mundane, I'm able to find hope. I'm able to find a semblance of satisfaction in life that's greater than anything I could do in my own kind of ability to construct it. All the wonderful things that I enjoy doing that I think are so rewarding, I've found some activities more rewarding in serving others than I have in doing some of the things that I like to do. Sometimes just doing the next right thing for someone else is the avenue through which God opens the door to give you the resources you need to recover from your loss, from your difficulty, to give you the strength to continue on. And fourthly, We walk through the fire by being open to hear from God even through the most unexpected people. Is it possible that God could actually speak to you through that annoying person at work? Through that irritating person who doesn't even believe? Is it possible? Is it possible that God could speak to you through your children? through your spouse. There's the one that I don't like to hear God through. Amen? The person who knows you, those are the ones you don't want to tell you about you. 
because they do know you. Be open to hear the voice of God through the people that God has placed in your life. And so, as we leave today, if you leave with nothing else, I want you to leave with this. We all face the fire. Some right now. Some not right now. But together, if we band together in a community, if we actually allow people, maybe through a small group, to get to know us and for us to get to know them, we could develop the kinds of relationship, the kind of camaraderie that cannot be purchased with money, that cannot be broken when the difficulties arise. People who will genuinely be there for you when no one else is there. People who will walk with you through the fire. The reality is, when you wake up in the bed and there's a fire in the house, you don't have but two options. To get up and go and focus on the solution or focus on the problem and stay where you are. You have that choice today. To allow everything that's wrong to continue to be your focus. To continue worrying about money and job and family and marriage. Or begin to find the solution in those problems. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for the opportunity to hear from Your Word. I pray, Lord, that as we go out from here, that Your Spirit would continue to quicken in our lives, to quicken in our hearts, to make living and active the reality that You will enable us by Your strength, by Your wisdom, by the individuals You place in our lives to walk through the fires that come our way. Lord, we don't understand why life is difficult and why we face the adversities we face. But we do know that we can trust You and that in trusting You, You are faithful beyond any faithfulness we could exemplify to carry us through to help us get up from where we've fallen and to guide us through the fire. Help us, Lord, to walk through the fiery trials of our lives. Amen. Thank you, Rob.